0: Good morning, it's good to see everybody. Would you take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 23? We'll read in verse 7 here in just a moment. Father, I do ask that you would uh, open up our hearts this morning, open up our minds, um, that we would be able to not just understand, but we would um, see the need for application of your word to our lives. Um, we do recognize that the Bible is your word and the value that it has. Um, thank you for it. Bless our time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so a couple of years ago, I think it's been about a couple of years, um, I, uh, I had an older sister who passed away uh, at the age of 42. And uh, she was... Uh, seven or eight years older than than me, um, and her name was April, and she had quite a bit of adversity in her life. She, um, she had Down syndrome. She had uh, open heart surgeries as a baby, uh, several of those, uh, and then even more later in life, she had what often goes with Down's intellectual disabilities, and she was uh, just trying to describe her. She was Short and chubby, and she had um, the youngest, the earliest I can remember. She had red hair, thin red hair that eventually thinned to the point that she went bald and wore uh, a wig later on in life. She had a valve replacement, I think, uh, sometime about the last five years of her life, um, and she had sleep apnea as well. <laughs> um, but I will, t- I will say this, and some of you remember my sister April. She. She lived 42 years, but she possessed and she gave joy um, that's, that's hard to explain. In fact, I would say she gave more joy in half of her life than most people do living 100 years. Um, she was a, a living example in front of me of, of someone who had adversity, but also had joy within adversity and had blessings within adversity, um, you know, from God for herself, but also toward other people. This morning, we are discussing blessing in adversity. Now I'm not talking about blessing after adversity, and I'm not even talking about blessing uh, that adversity brings. I'm talking about blessing within the midst of of adversity when times are tough when you don't understand what's going on or you have something chronic or you're dealing with this or that blessing looking and seeing the blessing that God gives us within those times of adversity and really it's true of believers that we have to deal with adversity everybody deals with with adversity Um, The rain falls on the just and the unjust, both in a literal way to bring blessings and provide crops and food, but also in a uh, metaphorical way of bad days come to to all. But we have to understand that there is blessing in adversity, and sometimes the muscles have to strain. Sometimes the the heart has to go through stress. The, the sweat has to drip. This portion of Scripture we come to in chapter, what we're going to cover this morning, it's, a, it's the biggest transition in Genesis since chapters 11 and 12, when we went from all these universal events to focusing in, narrowing in on the family line of Abraham. And some of the questions that are going to be raised this morning from the, the characters here is, well, how am I going to bury my wife? Who am I going to marry? Why am I having a complicated pregnancy? Why are people against me? All these problems are pretty fairly common problems and issues that people deal with today. And and maybe you're dealing with some of these right now. I want to reference Hebrews chapter 11 real quick, verses 13. You don't have to turn there. But showing the faith and showing that it is possible to go on in faith and even finish well in faith, the author of Hebrews referenced the patriarchs. He said, these all died in faith, the these being Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them... By faith, we could insert, and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then you would go down to verse 16, and it would say, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So just like the patriarchs, we are sojourners. Abraham had this promise made to him that he was going to give this land to his descendants. And and Abraham didn't really get to see a big chunk of that promise fulfilled. They were, he lived most of his life as a sojourner in a tent without permanent buildings. And so did his sons. And so we, like the patriarchs, are also sojourners. And adversity just like it did for the patriarchs adversity characterizes the lifestyle of a sojourner but so does blessings and grace from god we have to understand that they are they come mixed so this morning our big idea is god gives blessings in the midst of adversity, to remind believers of his promises. God gives blessings in the midst of adversity to remind believers of his promises. First thing we see this morning is that God gives a little piece of the promise. God gives a little piece of the promise. So we come off of chapter 22, and Pastor Jared did a great job last week guiding us through that chapter, and Abraham's Offering of Isaac to the Lord. And, and Abraham, while God stayed his hand at the last minute, Abraham was prepared to follow the Lord in complete obedience. I mean, in his heart and his mind, he dropped that knife. So Abraham, God brought Abraham to a point um, that he would be uh willing and obedient, even if he lost his son. But now we're going to come to chapter 23. And Abraham is going to literally give up his wife. If we're not caught up in the rapture of the church, this is something that we're all going to face: the death of loved ones, sometimes children, which is such a it feels like a harsh and and it is a terribly difficult thing. But even the death of a spouse that we should anticipate having to deal with that one day. And Abraham did, even the friend of God. Verse 7 of chapter 23, uh, Sarah has died. And the problem is, there's, Abraham doesn't have any permanent land. Uh, he could borrow a tomb from someone, but if he borrowed a tomb from someone, they would just reclaim that land after he is dead and gone. So Abraham wants something more permanent to memorialize this great godly lady, his his friend, his spouse. So we come to verse 7. It says, Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zoar that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So Abraham has not yet buried his wife yet. Um, He's in a mode where he's got to find some kind of way to to do that. So he has his eye on a a cave uh, that maybe it's out of the way, maybe it's at an ideal location, we really don't know. But he has this... And he finds out that it is owned by Ephron the Hittite, and so he wants he goes to the um, to where the Hittites are gathered, and he offers to buy this um, if he can. They can just lead him to Ephron. So verse ten it says, "Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city." Skip down to verse fourteen. Verse fourteen: Ephron answered Abraham, "My lord, sir." Friend, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So at first, Ephron says, Ah, just just take the, the cave and bury her. But... Uh, Abraham actually wants more than just the cave, he, uh, or he, he wants the cave, but Ephron doesn't want to just give away the cave or sell the cave on its own. For some reason, he wants to sell the field as well um, that it is part of. And Abraham did not find it a satisfactory um, situation to just uh, borrow the cave. And so the guy says, okay, 400 shekels of silver, Um, which seems to be a lot. We don't know the value of the fields and everything during this time. If you compare it to some later portions, this would be quite exorbitant. Um, And I do think that this is a high price for the field and, and the cave. And I think maybe the point of the high price and showing is that Abraham could afford it. Abraham could afford it because of God's blessings and how God had so richly. And Abraham's kind of, you know over the fire here what what real options does he have so he takes out the 400 shekels of silver and he gives gives that to Ephraim the Hittite verse 17 it says so the field of Ephron in Machpelah which was to the east of Mamre the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city now, we read this and we are seeing a, a, a plot of land where Abraham's spouse can be buried, but it's a little bit more uh, than that. Uh, Abraham is getting this initial piece of the promise. This whole land, not just this little area, but this whole land God is going to give to him uh, in its entirety eventually. But before he dies, through this, terrible situation that he has to deal with with the death of a spouse. God gives him a little piece of the land. Uh, now, when we are contented with a, with a little piece of the promise for the short, short term and still trust God in faith, that's what he wants from us. That God has these, these uh, immaculate promises for us. That are in store for us. I mean we know that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And that we're going to reign with him. Um, But we don't get the whole piece. The whole chunk of the promises right here and now. And Abraham didn't either. In fact the audience that is reading this. Probably the Deuteronomy audience. They uh, are fixing to go in and take over the land. And it's been about 400 years Well, more than 400 years since God made these promises to Abraham. And they still haven't received uh, all of the promises. Um, But God has given a little piece of this land. So when we are contented with a little piece of the promise, like these patriarchs, and we understand that God has much more and he's going to be faithful and trustworthy to deliver on his promises in the future... It can be said of us, like it was said of the patriarchs, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So God gives a little piece of the promise. Today, the little piece of the promise, and we talked about this several sermons back, how God gives tokens um, that, that are little down payments that remind us that He is faithful and what He's going to have for us for the future. He gives us the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about in the New Testament. But let's move on. God gives us a little piece of the promise. Number two... God gives hope to receive the full promise. God gives hope to receive the full promise. So not only is Abraham mourning the death of a wife, Isaac, the son, is mourning the death of a mother. Um, But by the end of chapter 24, God is going to comfort uh, Isaac as well. So look at chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Now Abraham was old well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and of God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham is very concerned. He doesn't want... His wife. Uh, he doesn't want his daughter-in-law to be someone from the Canaanites there in the area. Now, it's not that everybody from where Abraham came from was exactly great themselves, um, but they would make a better spouse than any of the Canaanite women. And so Abraham makes his faithful servant swear to him by an oath. The uh, text says here, by placing his hand under his thigh... Um, you may not know this, but our elder team has a, has a covenant amongst ourselves. Like the ch- We have a church covenant that we all sign as members, but the elder team has a covenant as well. Um, our signature was just fine for, for that covenant. Uh, but God gives hope to receive the full promise. Skip down to verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So the, the narrator is going to flash forward like 400 and 500- miles distance of travel here. Uh, this is not a small task that he's. There's a lot of pressure on this servant, and he's traveled a long distance in order to get back to Abraham's homeland. Verse 11. It says, And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So he prays to God. He's got to be worn out at this time. Um, and he says, God, I'm ready to get this task accomplished. The woman who comes and offers me water and offers to water my camels, may that be the one. <laughs> um, now, watering the camels was not going to be an easy task. Uh, we're talking if if a a camel it's a camel can drink like twenty five gallons of water. The pitchers that they would use to go down into this was more than just you know cranking a lever to let it go into the well. It was actually steps involved and probably like three gallon buckets. So this was a big big deal. Um, so. The lady that would fulfill this was a hard worker and was servant-minded and was compassionate to a weary traveler. So verse 15, it says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled, with, uh, and filled her jar and came up. So he immediately identifies who this wife for Isaac is going to be. Skip down to verse 29. And there's this conversation that he has with Rebekah telling him what kind of errand that he is on for his master. Verse 29 says, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. let uh, skip again to verse 31. Verse 31, he said, come, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So he said, speak on. Now jump down to verse 42. After he recounts why he's there, verse 42 says, I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also, so I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Now go down to verse 50. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So everybody that is involved sees that this is indeed God's provision for Abraham. And no one is going to buck what God is doing. Uh, Verse 61. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from 'er Berlehairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes. And saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So due to God's design, uh, before Isaac could have children and the promise be passed on and even fulfilled to Abraham, he had to have a wife. And so we have this entire narrative in chapter 24 where not only is God giving comfort to Isaac, but it's much more than that. God is showing Um, how he providentially is going to fulfill these promises. And for the Israelite generation going into the promised land, they have to identify and recognize the providence and sovereignty of God, not just in their immediate history and how God provided for them in the wilderness as they were kids and were were raised in the wilderness, but for future generations of Israelites and how God's hand was in in the lives of the patriarchs. And so what this is actually doing is that this is delivering hope and showing that the full promise would be received eventually. And Isaac does indeed get this wife. So that brings us to chapter 25. And in chapter 25, before we move on more with the life of Isaac, we're going to have a little parenthesis that's going to close out the life of Abraham. So we have this removal of a hero. This this guy that today so many different nations and even the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim religions all all recognize and all uh, draw their faiths back to. This hero of the faith to us and to many, Abraham, is taken off the scene. That's part of the life that we have to live. Our heroes die. As great as they are, and even sometimes it's like they, are, uh, they, they manifest ideals and everything and are the embodiment of maybe American ideals or even our Christian ideals, eventually they all die. Whether you're, you're there and you say, God bless John Wayne, or... God bless George Washington, these other, they're going to die. They all die. The heroes die because they are mere mortals. So Abraham is going to be taken off the scene. And part of the reason is to draw the focus back to the God of the promise. More than just the promise itself. And it is the God who is going to carry out this promise? And so you have here in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 25 that Abraham actually has six more sons um, with another wife. And then he dies in verses 7 through 11, and even Ishmael comes back to honor him at his funeral. 12 through 18 lists the genealogy of Ishmael. But then we get to verse 21, and it's going to carry on this narrative of Isaac and carry on the narrative of the promise, how God is fulfilling this promise. Not only has he given Isaac a wife, now he's going to give Isaac uh, twin sons. Two sons. Verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Isaac was uh, Married at the age of 40. And for 20 years, this sounds familiar. For 20 years, uh, Rebekah is barren and does not have a child. But at the age of 60, the Lord's going to answer Isaac's prayers and not just give him a son, but give him twin sons. And it says, And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said if it is thus why is this happening to me have you ever asked that question of yourself so she went to inquire of the lord and the lord said to her this is why you're having difficulties this is why things feel weird two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within uh, from within you shall be divided the one shall be stronger and the other stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger when her days to give birth were completed behold there were twins in her womb the first came out red all his body like a hairy cloak so they called his name esau afterward his brother came out with his hand holding esau's heel so his name was called jacob Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this preferential treatment of their kids is going to be a continual case of friction, not just in this family, um, but also down the road. Jacob is going to receive preferential treatment from his mother, and Jacob is going to give preferential treatment down the road to one of his sons. But we see here in chapters 24 and 25 that God gives hope to receive the full promise. And this hope is embodied in Rebekah, a wife for Isaac, and then these twin sons, that God is fulfilling his promise, okay? Now, we come thirdly to chapter 26, where God gives possession of the promise to a new generation. So while there is adversity, adversity does color the life of Isaac. Um, We're not told as much about the life of Isaac as we are Abraham and even uh, Isaac's sons, but we do see adversity all through his life. And by the time we're done with chapter 26, Isaac's going to be an old man. But there is this adversity in his life, but there's also these blessings as well. Um, Who is he going to marry in the land of Canaan? Well, his father sends his servant to, to get a wife from him from 500 miles away, but God delivers. And God blesses. 20 years of infertility, but God is going to bless. And friction even between the kids, but out of these kids, two nations... Are going to rise. In chapter 26, there's going to be more uh, tension and adversity in his life. So verse 1 of chapter 26, now there was a famine in the land, just like Abraham had experienced. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. This is Abimelech is likely a title, so this is probably not the same Abimelech that, that Abraham dealt with. Um, and it says in verse two, and the Lord appeared to him, and said, "Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham and your Father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring." All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So this whole... Uh, portion of scripture 23 through 26 that we're looking at this morning it's all you're going to see adversity in all of it but you're also it's going to be a transition portion of genesis like we've transitioned from abraham and we're even going to be transitioning into the lives of the son but in this transition there is a transfer of the promise that god's promises outlive his servants God's promise outlived Abraham, and it's going to outlive Isaac. And God's promises to us are going to outlive us as well. Because God is the in, infinite, eternal God. And there's a, a famine in the land, just like it was in the days of Abraham. And Abraham went down of Egypt. He left the land. But this seems to be saying that, in contrast to Abraham, Isaac was obedient, and he stayed in the land. He remained in the land. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to do everything right um, because off of this, uh, in verses 6 through 11, we're going to have another sister, fake sister story narrative where Abraham twice, he tried to pass off Sarah as his wife. Neither time it worked, uh, or his wife as his sister. Um, And here, Isaac is going to try to do the same thing with the people of the land. Um, But they're going to pick up on it, and um, it's not going to work. But in Isaac's case, in Abraham's case, it was like a half-truth. There was a little bit of truth to it because Sarah was his half-sister. But in Isaac's case, there's no sistership involved here. He's just flat-out lying. Um, But even in this account of Isaac doing the same thing that Abraham did... Um, God still protects the promise. God is still going to be faithful and still protect the promise. Now, we give, we're going to get into Jacob starting next week, and he's known as the deceiver. Uh, and we give Jacob a hard time, but it's not like Abraham wasn't deceptive, and it's not like Isaac wasn't deceptive. This was It's more than a learned trait. We do learn deception by watching others, but it also comes from within. Right? Because of our own, our own sin nature. Uh, look at verse 12 of chapter 26. It says And Isaac sowed in that land and, re- and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. What is happening? God is fulfilling his promises, but there's envy of the other people in the land, and that brings adversity itself, because they're going to stop up the wells that Abraham had dug, and some of the new wells that Isaac dug, but it brings adversity. But the thing about adversity is that heroes are made by difficulty and opposition. That's what characterizes heroes. Whether it was Moses, Moses had Pharaoh and his dissent, and dissenters in, uh, in the wilderness. David had Goliath, Saul, and Absalom. Elijah had Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Bel. Even into the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther had the corrupt church. George Washington had British tyranny, and Churchill had the Nazi war machine. Heroes are formed by how they respond to Adversity. Verse 23 of chapter 26. God's going to take another step in his relationship here to Isaac, another confirmation that he will be with him. From there, he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. The, the best blessing that God can give is himself. And that's what he does. I'm trying to figure out what I did with my phone. And that is what God gives to Isaac here in these, this verse that we just read. Yesterday, I came across a Facebook post of a, a family that I've been praying for, um, a friend that I went to uh, Bible college with. Their young son, within this last year, was diagnosed with a, an inoperable terminal brain tumor. And yesterday, Uh, Or last night, I read this this post that I want to read to you, keeping in mind that the best blessing that God gives us in adversity is himself. Jonathan and his wife Hannah wrote this, if you have ever run a race when you cross the finish line, there is an overwhelming simultaneous mixture of relief, relief of the, the race being finished a whole body acknowledgement of the cost the race has taken from your being, and a deep sense of wonder and gratitude that your body, which God personally knit together, could accomplish such a feat. This morning, our son Ian finished his race on this earth. And, oh, friends, what a race it was. Our son's life leaves a testimony that echoes the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Your continued prayers for our family are deeply appreciated. We are still working on finalizing funeral plans and will share those just as quickly as possible for those desiring to come or watch on live stream. We know many of you will feel the good and God-given burden to help us in some tangible way. We will communicate specific needs as they arise or come to mind so that the body of Christ can function and shine in the beautiful way God designed it. One of the ways... We do know you can minister to us. It's through your physical presence at Ian's funeral. Being surrounded by those who have helped carry us along through their prayers would touch our hearts profoundly as we run with endurance the race that is set before us. Rest assured, our sweet brothers and sisters, that we are not looking to God for explanations because he has met us in this turbulent time of deep need with the mystery of himself. His, his nearness to us is tangible, and it is our greatest good. What a testimony. And so we go through suffering, and we go through adversity in this life, and there is no character, there is no hope, there is no boldness without adversity. Romans 5, 3-5 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Endurance, character, hope, boldness. But it all starts with suffering. Suffering. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuza, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you so that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the lord this transfer of the promise to the next generation caroline carolina sandelberg was a swedish woman who was born in 1832 She dealt with partial paralysis as a little girl but was healed at the age of 12. When she was 26, she witnessed her father drown, a Lutheran pastor. She was later married, and her only child that she had died at birth. In 1892, she had a bout of typhoid fever she certainly had a blessed life that was mixed with adversity. And she wrote the lyrics to the hymn that is known in English as Day by Day. And I want us to listen to that. Um, there are three verses to this hymn. Keep in mind, the first two verses are meditations, they're meditations on God's truth. And the third verse is a prayer. You go ahead and play that, please.
1: Day by day And with each passing moment Strength I find To meet my trials here Trusting wise bestowment, I've no cause. Strength.
0: that line in that first verse mingling toil with peace and rest because when it comes down to it yes our lives may have some clear good and bad seasons but the bulk of our lives really is this mingling of toil with peace and rest and that's because of the development that god is bringing within us God doesn't raise us to be spoiled brats. And adversity doesn't mean that, or doesn't necessarily mean that you're being judged. Yes, some adversity comes because of bad decisions that we make and the natural consequences that come from it. But adversity can also come from a father's hand. And if we look, sometimes it feels like we have to look hard, but as we look, we will see a mixture within those toil and tribulations, we will see a mixture of blessings within it. And adversity calls us back to the God of the promise. And if you ever question the love of God, the goodness of God, there is that ultimate proof. Jesus on the cross. Last week we talked about how God tested Abraham and asked him to offer up his own son, but he didn't require it at the end of Abraham. But God did not ask Abraham to do something that he was not willing to do himself. And thousands of years later, he did that very thing and poured out his wrath on Christ who died in your place. Most amazing expression, concrete expression of the love of God. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. The worship team is going to come forward. This is one of adversity. Is one of those topics where, anytime you preach on it, it's going to hit home for some people because people do go through difficult things. But as we've seen this morning, adversity is a characteristic of the life of a sojourner, and maybe you are incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> And you feel displaced with the adversity that is going on in your life right now. If it's because of your own decisions, you need to repent, first of all. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to change the direction you're going of self-sufficiency and put your faith and trust in Christ and ask Him to be your Savior. And if you're a believer and you're feeling the natural consequences of something, you need to repent and confess to someone. Confess to your God. But there are many other cases where we go through adversity and it's not necessarily consequences or judgment of God. It's this life. Maybe you need somebody to bear that burden with you on a regular basis. You need to be meeting with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe you need someone to help bear that burden this morning and just pray with one another. We invite you to come forward as the worship team begins singing in just a second. We can do that very thing. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be standing down here and I can either pray with you myself or help or find someone that can pray with you this morning. This is a time to do business with God. Would you stand to your feet? As the singing begins, we invite you to make use of the altar.